Have you ever felt a visceral attraction to a politician? There is not a liberal America and a conservative America. There is the United States of America. I am your voice. Ask yourself if they're really telling the truth. This is a secret innuendo being leaked out there about me. I was honestly concerned that he might lie about the nature of our meeting. This is Subliminally Correct, a bi-weekly podcast where we examine all the ways politicians and newsmakers are using psychological tactics to influence you every single day. And now, join myself, Taylor Sherman, certified hypnosis instructor and executive coach, along with my co-host, Alex Dobranek, political consultant and certified consulting hypnotist, on this episode of Subliminally Correct. And welcome to another episode of Subliminally Correct. What do we have up for today, Alex? This week, we have Emma Krauss, who's a digital strategist who's worked on several campaigns. She specializes in social media, email fundraising, and peer-to-peer texting. Now, I worked with Emma on Bill Daly's campaign for mayor of Chicago, but previously, Emma's worked with uh, Hillary's campaign for president in 2016, along with the Texas Democratic Party and others. So, welcome to the show, Emma. Thanks, Alex. I'm excited to be here. Now, we kind of want to start off with, you know, a discussion about who's really been doing the best with social media and digital advertising. Is there anybody sort of right now that's really increasing their reach through great use of those mediums? I would say I really enjoy right now what Elizabeth Warren is doing and her Facebook advertising. Uh, She's doing a lot of video ads, which I think is um, increasingly common amongst all the campaigns. But uh, I've so far really enjoyed her hers that I get served, um, especially around her fundraising. Um, I don't know if you guys have encountered these, but uh, one of her big things is calling donors, um, like small dollar donors who have supported her campaign and surprising them with a thank you phone call. Um, and she's then used a video of that recording and is um, using it for ads to as a kind of like motivator for people to also contribute. It's kind of showing that what could happen to you if you become a donor to the campaign. And I think that's a really compelling fundraising narrative right now. Um, I would say primarily what I'm seeing um, mostly is people using advertising for fundraising purposes, mostly small dollar um, largely around um, the goal of getting uh, the 65,000 uh, unique donors, um, which is the threshold to get onto the debate stage um, for the first uh, DNC debate. So I've seen a lot of um, advertising around that, um, but also more like current event type things. So with the, you know, the Mueller report, um, the attorney general testifying, doing more messaging around that and petition advertising to help um, do more acquisition, um, getting people engaged in their campaign and using what is currently happening in the news and the Trump administration in order to do that. So what do you think people are most surprised about when, you know, you talk about how campaigns fundraise or advertise or or, you know, the different tactics that they use. Yeah, I think people um, are surprised that there are those tangible goals. Um, I feel like I see a lot of people online saying, oh, don't believe these goals, they're not real. But really, like, all the fundraising has a purpose. Like, a lot of, especially now, um, with a lot of campaigns rejecting all PAC money, all lobbyist money, like this is really how they're raising their money. It's not through big fundraisers. So these goals are very real. And if a campaign doesn't meet them, that could have serious repercussions for what they're able to do in their headquarters in the States. And I think that they're starting to try and show that more, that these metrics are real and valuable um, and that they're not just making a silly ask of the their supporters that they really um, are thinking through what they're asking. Um, I know there's a lot of cynicism and goals that campaigns put out, but 
I think it's becoming more real. You know, the, the D-trip emails mm-hmm. where they, you know, the world is going to end tomorrow if you don't pitch in <laughs> 10 bucks yeah. by midnight. Like, how are we really supposed to take that seriously when, you know, the apocalypse is tomorrow if you don't... <laughs> If you don't donate. Well, I think that at least a lot of the email lists that I'm on for our presidential campaigns are kind of steering away from the, like, uh, world-ending sky-falling <laughs> narrative, but more, I think they're taking a more kind of reasonable approach and explaining, like, all these emails are getting longer and longer. I think people really saw that. Um, in Texas last year, Beto Works campaign had a ton of success with these long form emails where the campaign bared their soul every time they sent an email and people responded to it. And so campaigns are less afraid to explain themselves and not just say the sky is falling, but say this is a serious problem and here's why and you donating to our campaign can help us fix it. So I think they're taking that risk and being more explanatory in their fear. The fear tactic is definitely still out there. I don't think <laughs> it'll go away anytime soon, but I think they're thinking through it a little bit more than campaigns have in the past. Yeah, because all the people who are really responding to the sky is falling and we need to donate now, like they've probably already donated, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. then, you know, I wonder, is there is there a strategy or is there a tactic for that? such as earlier on in the campaign or as they're launching it, like you mentioned, okay, they have these metrics, right? We have to reach the 65,000. Um, is there a strategy for these types of people are going to donate at this time? And then later on, we need to change our approach for different types of people. And that's why you do a lot of testing and you do things like surveys where you can gauge what is important to people because that information all can help you better target in your email list. So if you ask someone what issues are important to them and they say healthcare, then if, you know, the Republicans are trying to, you know, gut healthcare, then you can send a sky is falling email to people who have indicated (laughs) that healthcare is something important to them and they'll be more likely to donate. So it's like everything kind of has a purpose to help you better inform um, and know what message people are going to respond better to. So for different people, different skies are falling. Yes, I would definitely say so. This is something that I think is really taken for granted that um, I think a lot of people who do, you know, some sort of um, marketing related job like this is just this is just what they think of or if they're just familiar with marketing which is this whole, whole idea of split testing or multivariate testing and showing multiple versions of something and then basically finding out what the um, what the best performing one was so um, one of the things is that you know Facebook you know, makes public all of the different ads that a campaign is running, you know, for those of our listeners who don't know. And if you go on, you know, I was, I was just going through some of these ads, you know, trying to find it. And I remember going to, for example, uh, Kamala Harris's page and just looking, and I, I really wanted to find out, okay, like what are the, you know, few distinct ads that she's running all the time. And then I looked at it and she had like one ad and it's an ad in which we'll we'll take a look at and uh, we're going to we're going to go through a couple of them and really, you know, comment on them. Uh, and she had it must have been 200 variations of this exact same ad and you would click on it and like one would be targeted and it, it would only be shown in like Minnesota and the other one would only be shown in New Jersey. And, you know, some of them and they were all like under one hundred dollars that, you know, they, they the campaign was actually spending on it. But it was the same ad, but they would change little things such as what was the color of the background? What was the color of the foreground, you know, text? What was the um, brightness or the fade that was, you know, there with it? Um, And so, you know, and now, you know, Emma, you're talking about this idea of like captioning and like, you know, changing whether it's on a background and what's the font size and. You know, does that really like what sort of difference does that make? Is it a significant difference? Is it you know, just a slight tweak in the, in the performance, like what, what difference can that make if a campaign actually finds a variation that's winning? Yeah, I think it just a better, whether it's, you know, that specific ad 
um, finding out what your winner is, but it, I think it also helps inform future, not just ad designs, but like if, like you said, you're changing the font, the colors, like what people generally are responding to most in your campaign. I think a lot of people want, they don't just want to do things. They want to know that the, the thing that their team is putting time and money behind is getting a response. Um, and so everything is very, very data driven, which is why you see all these iterations, uh, with these slight adjustments. Um, and it just, it helps just better inform those campaigns. And like you said, if it sometimes, you know, they're spending less than a hundred dollars on that one placement. So that, you know, if they know exactly which one is going to perform best so that they can put, you know, more money behind the best performing one and doing those little tests so that you know what's going to work, you know, further down the line. All of it just better informs your program, uh, whether it's ad variations or testing a subject line. I think all of these campaigns want to have data behind what they're doing and the uh, content that they're serving to their voters. So what what we're going to do, um, everyone, is that we're going to put together a uh, probably a PDF and we're going to put a bunch of these ads in the show notes so that you can click on it and you can kind of follow along with us as we're talking through this, you know, if you're actually able to look at it. But if not, we'll we'll describe it, you know, fully uh, with it. So basically what this ad is, is that um, and this is one of the ads that Kamala Harris is running. So it says, you know, paid for by the Kamala Harris for the people. And at the top of it, it says Attorney General William Barr admitted to releasing his own watered down summary of Robert Mueller's report without even reviewing the actual evidence. This is unacceptable and we need accountability. He must resign. Add your name and join with thousands of other Americans to demand his resignation. So obviously even that text you know, is going to be tested and someone, you know, took a lot of time to, um, to write that. But basically it's got this picture here of Donald Trump shaking William Barr's hand. And I don't see anything particularly, you know, interesting about the picture. He's just reaching over and, you know, shaking his hand. And I guess it's just Trump and Barr. But then on top of it, it says Barr must resign in, uh, well, the variation I'm looking at right now is in uh, kind of goldish yellow letters. And then it has in a red box with white text, it says sign the petition. Okay. Now, if you actually go on Facebook and look at Kamala Harris's ads, you're going to see, again, like hundreds of versions of this. Some of them have a yellow background. Some of them have a red background. You know, it just, it gets changed up constantly. Now, when you click then on that ad, it then goes to a page um, and it says here, Kamala Harris for the people, but in big letters, even bigger than that, it says, add your name, Bill Barr must resign. And then it talks about uh, some of that stuff and then it says, add your name if you agree. And then it's name, email address, zip code, mobile phone, add my name. And of course, then when you add your name, it puts you on Kamala Harris's you know, email list. Um, but you're responding for uh, for Bill Barr. So what do you all you know, what do you all notice within this within this ad and within, you know, what it's intended to do? Yeah, like you said, it's um, the end result is that you're you're going to end up on the email list, uh, which is why um, you'll if you know, you're looking at the ad, you see that there's a little uh, star next to email address and zip code, which are required to continue on because those are the two key pieces of information they're trying to acquire from you. Mm. Uh, but they also, a lot of the um, petition kind of processes like this. So people who signed up through this specific drive could be their own segment. So you know that, you know, the Mueller report, the attorney general, these are the kind of issues that are important to this person that's how they came into the campaign and so knowing that can help you help inform you on okay so they came in through this petition i could also send them a fundraising email on this same subject and they might also donate um so it really is adding to that 
um, wealth of knowledge that campaigns are trying to get on the people that they're bringing into the campaign um, and help them better tailor those asks down the line um, so they know, like, these issues within the Trump administration are important to, um, you know, John. And so they're going to continue to send John, uh, whether it's email content or um, future ads about this, uh, like, similar subjects. They can, you know, track that information that you've then given them. That's crazy. I'm still shocked that anybody actually clicks through these things. <laughs> well, they click it really on it. happens. They click on it because they don't like Bill Barr. Right. So <laughs> they click on it and they go, Barr must resign, sign the petition. Oh, yeah, I agree with that. I'm going to sign the petition. But, you know, of course, then it takes them to this page and it's like supposedly the page is just, you know, we don't like Bill Barr. You know, let's add our names to this like, you know, in group, out group kind of list. Like, you know, we're we're forming our own clique of people who don't like Bill Barr. And but really, it's all about Kamala Harris. Now, the thing about, you know, about it is, is that, you know, is she the only one who doesn't like Bill Barr? Well, of course not. Right. A lot of people don't like him. Um, but she's, you know, using this hot button issue, you know, to really, you know, uh, to, to draw that attention. And then there's another one here, which is very similar uh, that Amy Klobuchar ran. And it says, you know, Amy Klobuchar wants to know where you stand. Do you approve of Betsy DeVos' work, uh, Betsy DeVos's work as Secretary of Education? And then it just it has this like little video here, and it says yes, no, yes is in red background, no is in a green background, which of course, what do they you know want you to go to? And then you click on it, and then it, it just brings you to a similar page. Do you approve of Betsy DeVos? And, you know, with that in mind, you approve of her work as secretary of education. You click a little uh, uh, radio button here and no is the first response. And then it's again asking for, um, as Emma just just uh, stated here, email and zip code. Um, very interesting, you know, how how they're how similar these ads are. Yeah, I'd say it's increasingly common to do uh, ad campaigns like that, especially I would say that the Trump administration is giving all types of content around that. Um, so it, it is giving campaigns a lot of opportunity to figure out what people care about. Um, whether So I would say, like, if I were getting this information from the Betsy DeVos ad, I would consider that person someone who is interested in education, education policy, um, so that also can inform future content so it's it is about you know a, like they're using it you know oppose these officials but there's always something else you can learn from the people who are expressing their opposition to those public figures that can help you you know figure more out about them um but it is a a pretty common thing um, right now to be doing. And I would say, I think every major campaign is running, um, similar things, um, like the two we've just discussed. Um, I don't have to take, you know, obviously a deeper dive to say all of them are doing it, but I'd say it's pretty common, um, amongst all of them. You know what I really love is speaking of this, these like tactics that campaigns use to get you to click on their social media ads. There's just one ad here um, with Joe Biden, that it says, as a top Democrat, you've been selected by Biden for president campaign to share your type pro top priorities with Joe. We need your answers by midnight tonight, so don't delay. Click below to begin the survey. Which is just... <laughs> which is like, okay, so I see this. I've been selected something about me is special that I've yeah. been selected yeah. by Biden's campaign to share my priorities. Like they want to know what I think. And of course, what I think is really important. And I really want to share that with them. So then it builds this, you know, sense of urgency. Don't delay by midnight tonight. They need it. Oh my God, I better do it right now. And then click below. And it says like in, this red neon highlighter uh, like background 
and uh, you know this very like pointy font answer now and you click that and uh, now you are on their list and uh, they can follow up on all the priorities that you just gave them. You gave them a lot of information about yourself. It's all about feeding that data monster. And it says it's taking you to go.joebiden.com and then underneath it, it has a little check mark and it says you've been selected. So it's you know implying exclusivity that you know you're part of the team uh, that urgency and that call to action. But it's, you know, surveys like this, um, you know, I'm curious uh, about this whole idea of a, of a survey because I didn't, you know, actually click on this link to see or go, I didn't go to go.joebiden.com. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'm curious about um, how valuable are surveys like that to campaigns? Oh, I would say very valuable. That's where a lot of people get the more specific information, especially on issues that are important to um, these people. So it it can, you know, be collected online, but then a field organizer out in Iowa can say, okay, like Emma Krause, she took Joe Biden's survey and she said that healthcare and criminal justice reform were two of her most important issues. Like, I can follow up with her and call her and try to, you know, set up a one-on-one and talk about Joe's plans for these issues. So it just really is a way of helping inform your entire program by collecting this type of information. And it's really like people spend their time online clearly. And so doing surveys like this online is just a great way to get that information from people without having to send an organizer to their door or have them call. But these people are already online. They're like, yeah, I can answer three questions and click a button and press submit. Um, It's just such a a low-hanging fruit um, for these campaigns. Yeah, I remember when we were in Chicago together, one of the, like, this was this is not a happy memory because it took so much time, but um, we would actually painstakingly spend so much time going through issue after issue after issue. Like, oh, this person identified themselves as education, like a, an education voter. This person, you know, was interested in, uh, you know, transportation. This person was interested in corruption, whatever it was. And we would sit down and segment out who are all of these people and then how do we ever so slightly change our like mailers that we mailed to people through like regular mail and oh we're going to use this type of background with you know this type of language we're going to use a little few more minorities in this picture or we're going to use a you know more tough on crime you know language but with the minority picture because, you know, they might be more receptive to that. And, uh, you know, just coming up with, you know, permutation after permutation and then, you know, plugging it all into, you know, the database so that the computer could generate lists of who's getting which mailer and why. And, um, you know, candidates and campaigns like really spend a lot of time just like segmenting out the tiniest little details to generate these types of things. And it's, it's just like the more information you feed into them, the easier it is for them to, and you know, it is kind of good, right? Like, Hey, who wants to get an ad that's not relevant to them? Like you would rather receive like marketing or, you know, an advertisement about a candidate that speaks to the issues that you care about. So like you want to know, you know, what so-and-so is going to do about this issue that you care about. But at the other, um, you know, on the other hand, it's, a little invasive, a little creepy, and uh, and just means that you get communicated to more than you wouldn't otherwise. Yeah, it's like, I would say it all started like, you know, out in field work, like at, if you were, you know, out knocking doors, a common question or, you know, what issues are important to you? It's We're just taking that same ask and putting it online now and really helping to, you know, further that influence. Um, but like like I said, the more information you have on people, just the the better you can tailor your content to them. And then, like you said, you're not sending them something that is irrelevant to them as a person. Um, 
like, especially with so many candidates um, in this presidential race, it's like every candidate has to stand out. So they need to make people feel special and take their survey and create that sense of urgency and tailor their messaging because they're all vying for the same votes, the same people. Uh, And so being able to be as targeted as possible is, I would say, invaluable in this primary season. And does that actually determine who's going to come and knock on someone's door? Like, hey, they, they filled this in on this survey and, you know, therefore we're going to send out this type of person or they're going to go, they're going to get the door knocking first. Um, I don't know if it would necessarily be like, uh, who would knock on your door, but like if, you know, you could give a field organizer a list of 20 to 50 people in their designated area of a state that responded to this survey one and then you know what issues were important to them too you can better connect with those people because every other campaign is going to be trying to connect with that person so if I that organizer know okay John Doe really cares about these two issues I can call him and have a conversation about those issues and maybe we can you know further it and have a a healthcare house party and they can invite all their friends maybe they're all healthcare workers um so it really can you know collecting this information uh can help the people on the ground better their connections because those are like that's the whole purpose right you're better informing the conversations you're having so making it possible it's a little too granular for like you know, anybody on the ground to say, send one person to knock on, you know, all of the, you know, people who care about minority issues, they get a minority person at their door. Like that's a little bit too, (laughs) just because the logistics of like, well, the campaigns would do it if it were logistically like feasible, but it's like, as you can imagine, it's very difficult to like, to like build an infrastructure that would be capable of such a thing. But for like the lower hanging fruit, like, you know, oh, we're going to have a women's only phone bank where we just call women in the state who are interested in women's issues. Or, you know, we're going to take everybody who has, you know, a higher likelihood of supporting like uh, Hispanic issues or speak Spanish to, you know, we're going to have a Spanish only phone bank where we just call all of those people. Um, or, you know, I mean... It's just it's just so much harder to get down to the to the bit where, you know, we're having somebody drive like 10 miles door to door to only speak to education voters like that gets kind of hard. Yeah, a little too granular. But I'd say that's like, you know, the hope is that, you know, campaigns can really be that specific in their organizing um, and really make everyone they're interacting with feel that connection uh, to the campaign and they can see it on their list a lot of times like if a campaign is like doing things right they're sending somebody and they can look and see oh before i make this phone call or before i knock on this door here's their history of interactions with the campaign and you know i know that maybe i should talk about education issues or you know or crime because this person has indicated it to somebody in the past absolutely yeah and I know that there's a lot of an ask for money, meaning, okay, just contribute, you know, $1 uh, versus $10, you know, for example, to meet that 65,000 threshold, I assume is what that's, you know, about. Um, what other kind of asks, right? What, what, what else is, a, is an ask that you can, you know, have, person, have a person do? Would it be something like, you know, other than money or just fill out this survey, is there anything else that, people are actually being asked to do where they they take some sort of action even if it's not actually opening their wallet yeah definitely i would say mostly online right now it is a lot of that um you know donating or um, petition type um content but later uh, like along the lines um i can imagine people doing like a a commit to vote or a commit to caucus Um, type program through advertising. Um, So saying like 
kind of like the petition, um, but saying I'm committing to caucus or vote for X candidate. Um, also doing, um, like, can you host an event uh, and become a volunteer with our campaign? I would say there's a little bit less, in my experience, people doing advertising around um, volunteer asks and uh, volunteer events. Um, but it's something that they could be doing and is a common ask less in advertising, but more in organic social media and in, um, email, uh, for sure asking people to become, um, a volunteer. I know a big thing, um, that the, um, Warren campaign is doing is like having these house parties, um, where one host signs up to, um, invite people into their home and talk about Elizabeth Warren with their friends, their neighbors, uh, a campaign organizer. Um, that's a really big one. I know around these, the CNN town halls that have been happening, a lot of campaigns, um, you know, Kamala Harris's did a big push around people hosting, uh, watch parties, um, for those campaigns. And then, uh, after they had, people sign up to host those, then sending, you know, watch party options for um, people in that area. So that's where something like the zip code comes in. So if I were the campaign, I could send um, someone in X zip code, the, you know, three closest watch parties to their zip code. Uh, So that's also a, a big one. Um, and I imagine that as the DNC debates um, approach, that'll uh, begin to surge again, that type of ask to have those um, watch parties and attend those watch parties. Is that harder than getting someone to actually just donate? Yes. In my experience, I would say it um, asking people for their time versus their money is quite a different thing. Um, cause investing their time is like sometimes harder for people to do than just investing their money. Um, they're really, you know, becoming a part of the campaign. Um, and so it is a little, I would say it takes more follow up and encouragement, um, than just asking for a donation. Not that I think anyone takes asking for money lately, but they are certainly two very different asks. Yeah. And I think that that's something like that's. Um, at least in, in my school of organizing, um, it, it all goes back to like the, um, the ladder of engagement and how we sort of think about, you know, there are type, there are different types of people and you want to move them from one level to another. So they might start off by seeing an ad and then clicking a link and, you know, signing a petition. And then the next day they or that same time, they might get an ask to donate and, you know, maybe they donate, but then the next day they get a call from an organizer that asks them to volunteer. Hmm. Or maybe they get asked to an attend, attend an event and you've got this person who attends an event, but they haven't done anything else. Well, your goal after them attending an event is to push them to another level of engagement like volunteering or donating. Um, and then from there, once they've volunteered, then you're trying to push them to, you know, become a neighborhood team leader and become even more involved in the campaign. Or after they've donated once, you want them to become a recurring donor or to, you know, uh, donate even more, get their friends to donate. Um, and so you, you're always thinking about how to take somebody from one level and then move them to the next um, and and how, you know, you can use sort of various social pressure tactics or you know, or just like bombarding them with, with emails or contacts until we've gotten them to a point where they're like, yeah, you know what? I'll go do that. Yeah, absolutely. It's the, uh, I know when I was, uh, an organizer, it was always the, you want to put a frog in water and then start to boil it rather than put it in boiling (laughs) water. Um, so, you know, you start with the, can you attend this house party? And then can you become a host? And all of that can be done now through these online platforms where it doesn't necessarily have to be an organizer calling you to ask you to be involved. It really, like, people are starting to 
take their first offline action from an online ask, which I think is really powerful and um, that a lot of campaigns are really investing in that process, which I think is great. What was interesting to me is uh, on... I don't know if you remember this, but on Hillary Clinton's campaign, they tried this really bizarre thing at the beginning. Um, it was like every social media was clearly going to be the next big thing um, for like campaigns to really capitalize on. And, you know, the Hillary campaign in the primaries at their launch really wanted to try to incorporate um, and get staff people to, you know, post on their social media that they're a part of the campaign and turn themselves and their all of their social media accounts into being, you know, posters for the campaign and get people to, you know, um, refer their friends and, you know, reach out. And they had this digital organizing plan where they were just going to make, you know, organizing in person the exact same as organizing online and vice versa. And it did, yeah. obviously it didn't work out. But there was sort of something like there's something there that I feel like, I don't know, like, what were your thoughts on all that? I wouldn't say it didn't work out. I mean, the result wasn't what we wanted, but I wouldn't say that that tactic didn't work. Um, I know as a field organizer, that was something I was doing on a, you know, very regular basis. And when I was an organizer with the Hillary campaign, I, unlike some organizers was organizing my home community. So I really did have a chance to be able to do that kind of thing where by posting on my Facebook, I could bring more people from the community into the campaign. And which I would say was semi-successful in that um, we had a lot of, we had a huge um, like online volunteer community um, and something that was smart that we did and I think was done in other states was a lot of organizers had their own Facebook groups uh, for their area. And so you added, you were first, you know, adding all of your volunteers as friends on Facebook so that you could constantly feed them your Hillary Clinton content. And then also you were adding them into this Facebook group so that you didn't necessarily have to call all of them to update them on what was happening. But instead, something I did was I posted every Sunday night the events that were happening in my field office for the next week with links for them to sign up um, so that they were shifting themselves and it wasn't me having to call each and every one of them, which um, I'm sure every organizer knows takes a lot of time but that they were then taking the action themselves. Um, But those Facebook groups didn't just go away after the campaign in 2016 was over. Um, The Ohio coordinated campaign in 2018 actually repurposed all of those Facebook groups um, for their online organizing um, purposes. So they became like little communities of these volunteers that the next organizer didn't have to start from scratch. They knew, okay, there are 200 people in this Facebook group that have been connected with the campaign somehow. This is, you know, where I can start. Um, And I'd also say a lot of people are doing that themselves independently of campaigns. Um, in, uh, In my capacity at the Texas Democratic Party, one of the things I was doing was this type of online organizing as well. And the first thing I did when I got to Texas um, in the spring of 2018 was I searched for every single indivisible, like, ex-congressional district um, group I could find. And it was like, I, I have to say I'm in at least like 30 Texas indivisible <laughs> type Facebook groups now that people are really active in. And... Like, that was how, um, like, I got a lot of people to sign up for texting uh, volunteer shifts through those Facebook groups. But do young people Uh, even use Facebook anymore? Is this just a thing for the the olds? It's not actually the young people that you're like, there's like, I would say there's like two purposes to kind of this online organizing. 
it's like you're interacting with people who are actually active on Facebook, which is like, you know, moms and like grandmas. But there are people, those are the people who have time to volunteer. Exactly. And then there's like the, the idea of you're telling the narrative of your campaign and sharing that with young people. Um, and you're not necessarily asking them to do anything, but you're telling a story. Um, I would say a, a great example of this right now is Elizabeth Warren put out her plan um, to, you know, essentially get rid of student loan debt and put out this tool to help you calculate how much of your debt would be um, relieved through her plan. And um, I've seen a ton of content on Twitter that is just all of these young people across these early voting states calculating out this, um, what, you know, amount of their student loan debt would be forgiven uh, because of her plan and sharing, you know, screenshots of that online. So it's not just, they're not asking anyone to do anything with that, but they're helping the campaign further its messaging and its narrative around this policy. Uh, So it's not, not everything is necessarily linked to an ask, but it can also help just continue to drive your messaging. Really cool. Uh, so why don't we look at some of these emails that campaigns have been you know, putting out? And Emma, I know you had a couple of emails that you had sent to us that you thought, okay, these are really great examples of how some uh, campaigns are doing some of that persuasive email messaging. Um, do you want to share some of that? Yeah, absolutely. So something I have really um, taken notice of and enjoyed in people's email programs is the idea of sending a thank you email. Um, we, I guess it's, we're the 6th of May today, um, but end of month fundraising for April um, had just wrapped up when I was looking at these emails. And something I really liked from these campaigns is that they send you this email asking you for money, you know, every day for five days because it's the end of the month and they have these deadlines. And, you know, what does that mean? Uh, and so they're following up and saying thank you and, like, really helping you become a part of that campaign. Uh, one of the ones that I had in my inbox uh, was from Cory Booker's campaign um, that they sent out. Um, the the fundraising deadline is, you know, midnight on the last day of the month. So they're saying that the deadline was a few hours away and they just wanted to say thank you. Uh, it says, you're unbelievable. Some people have, um, they're saying some folks are already looking for opportunities to count us out. They see a field of 20 candidates and think only the front runners can win. I know this team will prove them wrong. If you can chip in tonight, I'd be so grateful. Um, tomorrow we start a new chapter of the campaign and I can't wait to show them what we're all building, Corey. So it's, you know, just a couple of lines and saying, thank you for being a part of this campaign, like, and asking for, you know, one final piece of help, uh, really bringing people in to the process and not just, um, asking them for money, but asking them to be, you know, a part of this special thing. Um, I had gotten another one the morning after, um, the end of month deadline from MJ Hagar's campaign and she's running for Senate, um, in Texas. And it just says, um, like I had to reach out because you guys crushed our fundraising deadline. Uh, I'm so proud to have you on this team. Uh, it really like, it just kind of feels good. It's like the same thing where you send someone like an email about literally anything and all you want is a response. Like, <laughs> like I know I've um, been in the process of applying for new jobs and sending these thank you emails after uh, interviews. And like, I finally got someone to respond to my thank you email, <laughs> which just felt like really nice. Yeah. Like it's really, it's an underrated thing to just have someone say thank you. And, you know, maybe I didn't donate to these campaigns but I know people did and they're being, uh, they're getting that gratitude back. 
for their investment. And I think that's just a, a really powerful thing um, that folks are doing. And a lot of them aren't linked to another fundraising ask. It's just they're saying thank you for being a part of this and campaign. Is, is this sent out to everyone or is it just the people who donated? Um, well, as I had not donated to some of these, I would say it's being sent out to everyone. Um, I think it's I, – I wouldn't just send it to the people that donated because you also – like, if I didn't donate, I would think, oh, hey, maybe I should donate next time. Like, they right. sent this thank you email. <laughs> like, that kind of psychology <laughs> behind it. FOMO. <laughs> yeah, essentially, yes. All campaigns are just driving FOMO. <laughs> but speaking... That's my hot take. <laughs> <laughs> speaking of responses, though, have you ever read the responses to these emails that campaigns send out? Like, the, the inbox on the other end? Oh, yes, I have. <laughs> and what comes in? Um, A lot of things. Like, sometimes... um. Like, people will respond just saying, like, oh, you're welcome, or, like... Um, <laughs> as if it was personally to them. You're welcome, sent from my iPhone. <laughs> yes, basically. And it's, like, it's kind of tedious to be the one who has to look through those emails, but it also, like, I would say is sometimes really special because, like, people, like, I don't know, just express themselves and, like are excited about their candidate and um i mean you know sometimes people yell because they can't figure out how to unsubscribe but <laughs> <laughs> which is like always gonna happen but sometimes reading those emails like is a kick and i think everyone should have to read um those response emails like once in their career on campaigns because <laughs> like some people just think that like oh michelle obama personally <laughs> penned yes. this email to me they really do it's it's cute <laughs> but like that really goes to the effect of the emails too is yeah. that like that's why campaigns spend so much time like writing out these it's like somebody's job to make up a new email three times a, for like three times a day like, that's why somebody's job is to just sit down and do this is because, A, yeah. it does work. People read them and think that they're personally, like, for them. And, um, you know, it's just like, it, it is worth, like, hiring several people to write these. Oh, absolutely. And, like, I also, it it's just such a way that, like, I, th I think everyone thinks of, like, the communications team as, like, driving all the messaging. But there's so much you can do through email to, like just further your campaign's messaging um, in different ways than just like through, you know, traditional press. Like it's always an opportunity to talk about your issues and your, you know, strategies, your policies. Like there's just so much you can do with it. Yeah. And we have another one here from Biden. And, you know, I just find it interesting how if you look at a bunch of different ads from different candidates, that you'll have this theming that goes on with certain candidates. And so all of Biden's um, ads somehow have the same type of um, flavoring to them. They, they sound mm -hmm. almost, you know, very similar. Um, and, you know, this one, you know, is another thank you email. And it just says, you know, we, we blew our fundraising goal out of the water. Um, thousands of supporters stepped up to own a piece of this campaign and we can't wait to see what comes next. And this is, this is Biden's message, right? Is that, you know, he has this idea of, um, I, you know, uh, right now things are, you know, kind of bad, but we're, we're looking toward the future, but he doesn't do it in this super visionary way like Beto might do. He does it in kind of this, like, I'm, I'm excited, you know, kind of way. Yeah, absolutely. And I th I think every campaign has like their own cadence to their emails too. Like I I've found that in his that I've read they've been like pretty straightforward um and not, you know, a ton of like fluff. Um so this one, you know, it's three lines and it also includes um a link to his new video. Um, and especially because this was his first end of month, um, cause he, um, launched his campaign in April, um, just keeping it really simple and it, like really thanking people for being a part of the campaign early. Um, it's just that, you know, clear cut messaging, like across all of his, um, content. Yes. Yeah, so this one has Biden standing next to, uh, Barack Obama 
and it's a Medal of Freedom ceremony. It's got this video here, and it just seems, you know, kind of very official. He is um, just sitting there kind of looking down with his, he's in that that Socrates-like thinker pose, um, and it just says, sign my name, and then it says, it's interesting because they have two buttons, you know, one says, sign my name, and then it just says, thanks, comma, Joe Biden for president, and then it just says, donate. Um, so it's kind of like, hey, these are the two things we want you to do. And the red that's in the si- the buttons is the same red that's in uh, the logo, which is Yeah, nice. the red, um, th- I know a lot of campaigns do like a ton of testing on their button colors. Um, that's like a huge um, area that people do testing in is like what gets, like what button colors get. Um, the most clicks. So one of the interesting things that we um, wanted to talk about was these videos that candidates have started doing a lot lately. And, you know, I know like it's been around Bernie and Hillary really tried to do this where they had these candid videos of them out in the field. I remember, you know, Hillary did hers. uh, I'm just chilling in Cedar Rapids. In Cedar Rapids. (laughs) (laughs) That, That was so campy that it almost became its own meme. But, oh, it was definitely its own me. <laughs> but at the same time, though, uh, candidates have really started to make it more organic. And, you know, one of the things that we want to play here is Julian Castro did his, um, you know, did one of his videos thanking donors again for, you know, pushing them across the line. More than 63,000 people, um, you know, thank you for donating and so, um, you know, let's take a listen to this and then uh, we can chat about it a little bit after. Hey, y'all. So we're almost there. We're almost to the 65,000 contribution threshold to make sure that I get to the first Democratic debate in June. I want to thank everybody who's given uh, so far. I truly appreciate it. We've gotten contributions in from throughout the country. Uh, I'm very grateful for that. And I want to challenge you. We only have just over 2,000 contributions left to get to 65,000. Can we do it today? I hope that you'll contribute if you haven't already. Go to leoncastro.com and make a contribution. Right, so what you're hearing here is that powerful sense of urgency and that we're right on the edge of getting something. Now, this is a really powerful driver for motivation. We actually do this a lot um, in NLP that you bring someone to the threshold of the accomplishment of a goal And it activates that neurotransmitter dopamine, which if you don't know how dopamine works, it rises to the point right before you achieve some goal. And then, of course, right after you achieve it, the dopamine falls and then you got to get motivated again um, because the, uh, you know, what you're excited about, you know, you've already got in it. Um, But what he's doing here is he's saying, hey, we're right on the edge of getting this thing. Now, is Julian Castro actually going to get to 65,000? Of course he is, right? He's at 63. He has plenty of time. But doing this type of video really makes it so that he he gets everyone excited and enthused and starts to, you know, really um, say, hey, here's where we are in time. And now here's, you know, the reason why he's giving a, a because a reason why you're going to do this. And then, of course, afterward, he's going to come in with another video um, like one from Cory Booker. We'll hear in just a, a couple uh, moments here and coming in with another video. He's going to come in and say, hey, we reached it. Thank you all so much. And do that. Thank you strategy that Emma was talking about. Yeah, I think that it's a really smart thing that all of these campaigns are doing, not just like for this specific goal but having these they're not you know heavily produced it's maybe the candidate is taking a front-facing video or you know a staffer is taking an iphone video um and they're the candidate speaking directly to the camera but it's very i would say it just it feels more authentic it's you know more personal it's not like a, a heavily produced campaign ad. It's like, I'm a real person asking you for this thing because I'm running for president and I, I believe in my candidacy. It just feels more real than maybe what, you know, we've seen from campaigns in the past. Right. I love the aesthetics behind it all, right? Is that like, 
He's standing in like a windy, cloudy day. You can hear the background noise, the traffic and the wind in the background. And, you know, his voice is a little bit muffled. You know, it's very like authentic. It's very real. And so somebody watching it, you know, starts associating like, oh, this isn't like a crazy, highly produced campaign or candidate. Like he's a little bit more relatable because this is how I would make a video. Um uh, it, it almost reminds me of, I don't know if you were watched uh, not too long ago, but uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez um, was, uh, she was Instagramming herself building furniture in her apartment, Ikea furniture, um, while clearly intoxicated. <laughs> and it was just, for whatever reason, like I couldn't take my eyes off of it. Because it was just her ranting about politics while building IKEA furniture, like drunk. It's like that's very relatable, right? Yeah, I I love that this like new style is has really taken off, and like you don't have to be you know twenty nine to do it. Um, like you know whether it's like Bernie or Elizabeth Warren or Beto or Julian Castro, like all of these candidates are using this personal video uh, medium uh, and like it's there's no like age cap on it so let's take a listen to um the video that cory booker produced taylor mentioned this and it's a really good way that cory booker used to also thank the people who had donated and contributed to his campaign so let's listen to that now This is Cory Booker just giving everyone a thank you. We crossed the 65,000 donor threshold last night because of you. I called Molly from Minnesota, who she was actually the 65,000 donor to say thank you to her. But I want everyone to know that this is the story of my career. I'm standing here in the Central Ward of Newark in 1998. We were considered the underdogs. We were going up against the machine, a guy who had been in office years and years, who was 40 years older than me, and we brought it. We brought it through a grassroots campaign, door to door, living room to living room. We upset the machine. People underestimated us, but the people in the grassroots believed in us, and that's what's happening in this campaign. So I am grateful for everybody. We've now set a new goal for ourselves. With this momentum, we want to get to 70,000 donors by the end of the weekend. So please keep that momentum. Reach out to somebody else. Get us another dollar contribution to dollar contribution. That's how elections are won. We're going to stay in this. We're going to win this. We're going to be that voice on the debate stage that talks about who we are, our love, our community, the unity we need to bring back to this nation. You're helping us get it done so we can be a nation of liberty and justice for all. And I appreciate you. 70,000 donors by the end of the weekend. Thank you for helping us to reach for another goal. Thank you. Wow. And here he's like a football coach or something. Like <laughs> we were going up against the That's machine, <laughs> but we got it done. <laughs> It's very Cory Booker. Like I've I've heard him speak in person, and that like that's his same attitude whether he's like talking to a camera or like he's in a room of thousands of people or he's just with you know campaign staff. Like that's it's always his energy, and I think his campaign has done a good job at like capturing that and like telling that narrative of like who he is. And you'll notice like he says thank you. He talks about the goal, and then. He also reiterates his campaign messaging with the story of his first election and like really it like presents a very rounded message in a minute and 33 seconds. Uh, I like I'd say very good job. He crushed it as he would say. (laughs) So he had that thing there of, you know, I called Molly from Minnesota. Right. Very relatable. He's saying the name. Hey, this is this is what we're doing. And yeah, that whole underdogs going up against the machine, grassroots, door to door. We're going to knock them down. As if we're supposed to know who Molly from Minnesota actually is. Well, they did do. I consume a lot of um, (laughs) content, so I do know who Molly from Minnesota is because they posted other content. Um, She was the 65th thousand donor, and she also happens to be a Moms Demand Action volunteer. Um, so it was a, a good story. Wow. So they're really like weaving in this whole narrative here. Yeah. 
That's crazy. Interesting. It's like no person is too small to be recognized for so many of these campaigns. Very interesting. Yeah. And we had that now he's achieved 65,000 and now it's okay. Now we're going to 70 and, you know, by the end of the weekend and, you know, so thank you for letting us set a new goal. Um, it's a great example of taking one success and then building upon another success. So there's so many persuasive things that Cory Booker is doing here within this clip that we could really break down, you know, that, that he's doing well um, in, in energizing people and moving them to that next step and to that next point. All right. Well, I think that's all the time we've got for today. Uh, thank you, Emma, for joining us on another episode of Subliminally Correct. This was a really interesting episode, Absolutely. and I'm glad that you were able to share it with us. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you, Emma. And if you want to hear even more from us, head on over to subliminallycorrect.com. You can check out our previous episodes. Head on over to our Patreon page where you can donate as little as five bucks a month to keep us on the air. And uh, head on over to Twitter or Facebook and send us your comments, your thoughts. Um, you can talk to Emma, you can talk to me, you can talk to Taylor and share your favorite moments, your questions, your comments, or just things you want to learn even more about. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you.